This is Flag, and you're listening to Color Call. Hey everybody, this is Soul Hunter. The audio you're about to listen to is the second of three parts. It's a conversation between Flag, David, and I. We were helping Flag prepare for a presentation that he was giving at TESS. If you go to CowerCult.com, you'll be able to hear the first part, which is the broadcast immediately before this, and we'll be putting the third part online, as well as having future conversations. Um, I just wanted to let you know that you'll probably want to use headphones for this. The audio was recorded before we intended really to broadcast this sort of thing on the net, so we didn't really have our mic set up and, and everything in the way we would probably want to. So go ahead and enjoy it, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks. And confidence, and they will all gravitate towards, and it's very natural, towards the confident, experienced dominant, or at least the person who gives the impression of it, which is why they all try so hard to give the impression that everybody knows more than the other guy, which is why they can't cooperate on anything. So, you're under a lot, I remember it coming out, and it's a lot of pressure to appear competent well before you've had a chance to learn anything. You know, I mean, there's. There's a difference between someone who's played a lot and has confidence in themselves before they get to the public scene and someone who is coming out into the public scene for the first time. Because, I mean, some people, they know their shit before they get there. It has nothing to do with the public scene. But not men. Most people show up and get their permission from the public scene. Yeah, I think that, and I think that's the important phrase, that, that idea that and it's not, it's certainly not unique to this, but that idea that permission is, permission is granted by a group. You know, if, if I've been to the requisite number of classes and, you know, people tell me I'm, I'm okay now and I'm being safe and I'm, it's almost like you can't blame me if it goes wrong now. I've done enough that. You've been certified. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah, certainly, yeah, I don't know about the blame issue, blame is ever present, but it certainly is, you hear it. It, it, and it's an irksome phrase. It grates on my nerves every time. But you'll hear some people just justifying their behavior by the classes they've been to. Right. It's internal. It's external permission, which grants internal permission because the internal permission isn't there because of doubt and fear. I have to turn outwards for approval, and I did. Yeah. Right. I mean, you had a lot. You had um, dominance and scene experience before you came. To the, to the public scene. Yeah. Which is why you were able to walk in and go, this is a lot of nonsense, I don't have to play by these rules. Right. I had toyed around in a little bit and found some genuine power, and I knew enough to know I didn't know what to do with it. But even then, I... And am, then I came to the public yeah. scene. But I mean, I had worked through a lot of that pre-stuff, that pre stuff, you know, in a combination of online and... You know, in real life or whatever, but I went through most of my peer group acceptance, drama, stress, worry online. Right. And then, so so meeting physical people was no different. I already felt like I had a group behind me. You know, so in a sense, I was moving from one group to another as opposed to coming coming out, so to speak. So the, the, the whole coming out dominant thing is about that pressure to come out already knowing everything and how that feels. Do you think that people forgive experience in the name of confidence? Like, it's one of the things I notice where, you know, people will go... You've got confidence, people don't ask. Right, they either don't ask or, <clears throat> or they'll accept answers they wouldn't accept from other people. Because they think that the experience requirement is almost, not a smokescreen, but it's, 
I think submissives are looking for confidence. As yeah. a group, they're looking for confidence. They see that's usually tied to experience. And it's, that's the logical assumption. But if I were to come out and be very confident, they would go, have you done this before? And I go, no, but I've been to enough classes. They'll go, oh, okay. Or if, the, if I go, well, I've read about it a lot. They'll kind of, as long as you're confident and look like you know what if you're, you're doing, confident they tend to enough, take research. If you're confident enough, they can go, have you ever done this before? And you can go, no, now shut up. Yeah. But that kind of confidence only really comes with some form of experience or some form of psychosis. I want to talk about that form of psychosis because I'm, I'm stumbling on this division of the type of dominant that, that comes to a group that needs to be part of a group to have that kind of um, certification, that, that, that acknowledgement, that acceptance, to be able to do that, that permission. And that I feel that's a totally different breed of person than below the dominant, who's never come to a group, may not even know there is a group, probably wouldn't be caught dead in a group. I genuinely agree with the entirely different group. Um, I've met and uh, Tink's old sir was one of them. Uh, Joe's previous sir was one of them. And they're they're almost uh, like Anne Rand figures in a lot of ways because they are so distinctly independent of all the social crap which the scene drags drags people down towards the, the status quo with. Mm -hmm. And uh, old sir was a bastard, but he was sane. Sotzer was fucking crazy. Just a uh, borderline autistic, Asperger's out the ass, genuinely did not have the compassion which slows the rest of us down when we're trying to enforce our own, you know, right. whatever it is. Yeah, almost mercifully free from doubt yeah, that way. Absolutely free of the shackles of empathy. And it made Circe look like Mother Teresa. So, I mean, yes, they aren't crazy by definition, but they do fall into that category, these kind of iconoclastic, unique people. Um, the people I associate most closely with, you, uh, Ken, Cersei, have one foot in either camp. They're not entirely peerless iconoclasts with no need for social contact or approval. But they have a strong sense of themselves, and it's stronger than the status quo. I'd love to be one of those, you know, little walking gods, but I'm either not that crazy or not that strong. Right. I think one of the forces that draws dominance to an organization and, and to seek that kind of validation from the community so that they can be admitted into it is basically just to be admitted into the, to the watering hole. Because without that validation, it's hard to get near anybody unless you can entice or seduce somebody out of the circle in a way. And it's mm -hmm. like the... Lion taking <clears throat> off the, the strays. Right, exactly. But anyway, we were somewhere near a topic. Oh, yeah, we were on bullet point. Uh, it was coming out well, dominant. So, what are the sub points there? So, smelling desperation, did we cover that? Not yet. But that's the, uh, that's the introduction to the idea that, that uh, one of the mistakes that the insecure, you come in, you're insecure, you don't feel strong, you don't feel knowledgeable. Lots of people show it in lots of different ways. And uh, there's a quote from Top Gun, which is, women can smell desperation like dog shit on their shoe. And you can see it with some of these people, would-be dominance, you know, 
flogger on the belt just to make sure you know what side of the leash they're on. Right. But to be fair, you can also smell on the submissive. Yeah, you can smell desperation on anybody. Right. Um, but seeing as I'm focusing on dominance. You know, I, for another time, it would be interesting to have a conversation about whether there's... I don't know that there's a parallel problem in submission. I think doubt no. is there, no, but I don't, I don't think, think there's, there's a mirror... There's not an assumption of competence for the novice submissive. What there is is an assumption. There's a standard of you're supposed to be an open book. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. Right. You're supposed to... You're faced with a, a million things out there that you're not ready to do, and you are less if you don't do it. Yeah, that idea of demanding faith, almost. Yeah, and the fact is, you know, your, your novice submissive comes in when she's forced to go, no, I don't want you to fist me. I'm not ready for that. She fails. <laughs> she is failing a social test and perhaps failing the social contract with the, with the dominant. She's well, and, and, and yeah, I mean, again, it's for another time, but it's interesting that that social... That's an example of a social test that is failed because it exists because people are people. Right. But the... The, again, the rules of the community don't actually allow for that test to be passed or failed. Well, yeah, the rules of the community are trying to like demand. To yeah, but they're they're almost kind of demanding that you deny your nature and go. Yeah, I'm not going to feel bad if you decide suddenly that that's a problem for you. you know, I'm going to accept it. Your boundaries well, are the pressure. The peer pressure is there to do anything. The the the, the consequence pressure is there for the dominant to accept right. that not happen. Yeah, but I guess I guess right. You can't legis you can't like legislate away peer pressure. Right. So that's the whole the desperation idea. But I, I wanted to talk about that, and I wanted to talk about being the first stop on someone's ride is almost a guarantee that you will be the first, but not the last. When novices come in, they're not going to sweep up into a relationship in all likelihood be the first person they play with. They want to try things out. They want to get out there. They're here to experiment. If you rush to be the first person. Prepare to be the first of men. That that rush to get there first is counterproductive. Right. You know, let them find you. As you say, the competition is really stiff. There's often a rush of dominance. There's always that rush, and it's a stupid on, position to put yourself on. New meat. It's true, but considering what the numbers game is and how it's set up, you may hold back waiting for them to finally come around to you, and it may be three or four relationships later that that chance finally comes around. I think being first might be a bad idea, but I wouldn't, if I really cared, I wouldn't wait past second. You get a bunch of people who come in and, you know, they'll have a couple, you know, they'll have a couple of play partner things with them, they'll hook up with, you know, some guy who's technically mentoring them, and then the next thing you know, they're, well, they're think, long-term doubt. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm no, I think you're right, as a general, yeah. I'm always about making myself invisible. Right. But I'm not going to... There's two ways to become invisible. A, be lost, you know, not not show up. The other way is to be lost in the crowd. And I, I wrote somewhere in the middle where you are pleasant, right. but not pursuing, and not competing. Some of it is also the physics of the situation. You know, this is... Yeah, they, they, they come in maybe unsure of their desirability, let's say. Yeah, I mean, okay. And, maybe only... and they hook up with him, which is great, but then they find out they're in demand because they're new. And you, maybe all they wanted was a spanking partner. You know, that's what they fantasized about. But now they're being introduced to every other thing that's going on around them. Curiosity is very often a factor. 
just if I like this, maybe I'll like that. True, but it's also part of the strength of the dominant, even if they are first, to be able to keep to be able to hold it. Well, but he's not. I mean, you've got a lot of guys who aren't. He's not. So that strategy obviously is not a good one for him. Yeah, but you're right. For some people, there's a ruiner aspect. You know, if you know, you Cersei is a good example. It's it, they might move on and play with somebody else, but if, if she really put the screws to them, they're going to come. They're going to circle back, right? You know, yeah, if you can change their life, but that's that's, so, that's yeah. the thing that learn to flirt, learn to flirt in that you know stop. Don't don't cut directly to it. Don't be in a hurry. Don't be in a rush. Desperation. When you talk, talk for a while. If they know that. Because no, none of these people are going to walk up to someone, lock eyes with them, grab them by the hair, and go, you're mine for the rest of the night. It's not going to happen. So taking that out of the, the realm of possibility, the only thing you're left with is don't be a jerk and walk up and, uh, hi, can I spank you? Someone is much more likely to be interested in playing with someone who they interact with and who is not in a hurry. Because if you have to ask, you can't do the eyes locking. Well, right. I think that, and that's. I think that's a middle ground that is presentable. I mean, I'm comfortable with the idea. Even I have an almost impossible time actually doing it. I mean, it's just nerve-wrackingly doubt-filled, you know, as far. But the flip side of that is you don't have to ask. You can. You can be charming. You could express interest. You can do what you have to do without going. Can I spank you? Right. You know, you can go, you know, all those tricks, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you can, you know. If you're good at it, they'll ask you. Right. And it's a small thing. And it's not the hair grab, and it's not the foot sweep, and it's not that. But at least you're not starting out with a deficit, you know. If you're starting out from a position of can I is the weakest possible position. I was going to say, I think the biggest fiction in all of it is that idea that people can... I think people can decide to bottom. I don't think people can decide deliberately to submit. So that idea that, that we can serve. have... Yeah, absolutely. But, but you're, you're using submit on a much more primal level. Yeah, but that idea that you know we're going we're gonna to have a nice lunch and everything's going to be an even keel and we're both regular people and we're going to lay it all out and then like as of, you know, when we hit the car in the parking lot, then you're no longer thinking of me as an equal. I just don't see it. You know, they could decide to put they could decide to put your wishes above theirs at that point. They could, but it's all conscious until you know. Yeah, but that kind of primal submission is, is so rare. And even as I say it, I wonder if it's even true. Yeah, it's just because I'm I'm thinking about I I'm mean, thinking I, about some of the things you've spoken about when I'm you know, and all the time I've been listening to you talk about how to work people. And there's, there's part of this idea that just by stating that sort of thing, you know, when I pick you up tomorrow morning, thing, you can almost kind of nudge stuff. It's you, almost can, a, you, can, you can create a situation. You can create a dynamic. But there's a, a possibility of a primal dynamic. Right. It's just lottery rare. You know, I, you can't count on it. Yeah. Or at least I've never been exposed to anyone who could. It's almost theoretical science. I've been exposed to it once. It was a hammer. Absolutely. 
It was unmistakable, and it was uh, very primal, but so rare as to be almost useless to count on as a form of dynamic. You know, it's, it's that love at first sight thing. Every so often, two people meet and bang, they're married the next day and they're going to be happy for the rest of their lives. Wouldn't count on Yeah. No, I get you. All right. So, learn to flirt. Learn to flirt is or basically, learn to flirt yeah. well, which is basically how not to be desperate. Yeah, don't, don't be desperate. So that's why it's, we talk a bit about desperation and then I talk about how to try and counter giving off the impression. Because you can want as hard as you can. Just do it quietly. Because the position of power is they want you more than you want them. That is the defining position of power. There's a subtlety in there I've never gotten a handle on. I haven't figured out my exact word breakdown to express that idea between want, need, and, and I guess the other word is going to be desire. Because my other model for this is, you know, that's a non-dominant situation. I have seen very few guys who will look at a woman and want her as much as will want her. And you know it. And she knows it. And she knows pretty much exactly what he's thinking about doing to her. But somehow or another, that doesn't make him seem like he can't walk away from her. So it's this weird double thing where they get to feel... They don't have to wonder if they're attractive to him. But they're also vividly aware of the fact that that attraction is something he's more than willing to just walk away from on his own. Well, that's flirting. I mean, that's... The idea of flirting isn't to be cold. It's to show that you're interested. But not to crawl. And to be able to walk away from it is a huge factor. I mean, it's like the minute you start doing it, you create a vacuum that is that needs to be filled by the person dancing towards you. Is this the guy that, that picks up girls? Like, yeah, he's pretty good. And the more I listen to, to various different podcasts about how to pick up women, the more I realize that it's everything he does. Yeah. I mean, skipping all the bullshit that they try and feed you to get you to buy the book or whatever. But it's this. It's, it's flirting from a position of strength. It's not being cold. It's one of the things that they mentioned was that there's an, assu- there's an implicit assumption that goes, because people have a very hard time accepting the fact that you would just deny yourself, you know, a sexual interlude. If a guy is obviously interested and, you know, and, and, and is still willing to walk away. One of the few conclusions that can be drawn by another human is that they have a plethora of other options to choose. The idea that they're just shutting it down and not going and getting laid somewhere doesn't really cross anybody's mind. So on top of that, you gain that bonus desirability win of people thinking you're already in the world. You know, related, you know, working within a, a, a community like, like ours, like the watering hole now, just that, um, for for people who are not skilled at flirting to wait for the one and then attempt to apply their untried techniques on them is a huge is a larger gamble than a more shotgun approach of trying it on many people and just finding what works, what doesn't work, getting that group so when somebody significant comes it's not such a dear gamble right, anymore. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, that points out one of the mistakes that guys make is assuming that if you're going to flirt with someone, you failed if you don't bang them. Right. Flirting is an end in itself. It opens up options. It's good practice. It creates a mystique. It makes you an object of interest, and that interest gets shared. I think practice is the right word. Yeah. It absolutely, absolutely is. I, I... Flirting for flirting's sake 
because what? by the time it becomes pleasurable, you're getting good at it. Yeah, right. It's one of those things you drop. You know, you've dropped five hundred balls. You know, you've 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 farted. One of the the CD sets, the audio CD sets I downloaded, which is just this, you know, five theoretically five day course on how to start getting women. And when you breeze through it, you realize day one is an introduction, but day two they start assigning homework. And the homework is basically today you're going to ask five women for their phone number. None of them are going to give it to you. You're not, you know, you're not good enough to we haven't told you how to get it. And it doesn't matter. Go get rejected like eight times. Get over it. You know, and then tomorrow you and your friend are gonna go to a sports bar and you're going to you know, ask the waitress for the phone number. And then more importantly, the day after that, you're going back to the same. Because it's one thing to be rejected by a girl. You never see it. You never have to see it again. It's another one to get over the idea that that's fatally tainted you forever in their eyes because they're saying, you know, a lot of guys who are successful with a girl, now obviously this is a vanilla situation, but, you know, weren't successful the first time they flirted with her. So they're putting you in this position where you have to go back and deal with the fact that she's not going to point and scream like the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like the pot people. Yeah. So that, but I think that word practice is a really good one. Another aspect of this is, you know, in, in that lotto ticket kind of mentality of going to keep playing until you hit, because it's a, a finite community. Even if the flirt doesn't catch on. You've made a social interaction with somebody in first time. A person is likely to be around for a while. You're likely to be around for a while. Likely to cross paths, and then it's okay to have flirted, and as long as you weren't an asshole about it, to to see this person again and and actually build up another acquaintanceship mm-hmm. with this person based on that alone. Well, that's one of the, and that is one of the hard ones because I know when I was, you know, like even in take high school. I mean, that I, I knew intellectually that idea that, you know, flirt and get turned down. And it. But the thing that you're kind of holding on to at that point is the last thing you want to do when you come across someone you actually care about is have them think that you hit on everybody. You're almost kind of going... Yeah, see, now you, there's the difference between flirting and hitting on. And, and it is. But at the time, I really got that idea that, you know, I shouldn't be practicing this stuff and I shouldn't... Almost like you should. I shouldn't be dating anyone. So that if I find the person, I'm, you know, then I can go. They, they won't. I won't available. have a reputation, you know, or whatever yeah, except, that is. Well, to be. but until you realize that that reputation can. Only yeah, well, that reputation is Dungeons and Dragons. You know, Twelfth yeah. um, level <laughs> ranger. That helps. Yeah. The thing about it is, in a closed social situation, with flirtation is if you flirt generously in a small pool like this. When you flirt with someone successful and they are enjoying flirting. Their eyes light up when you walk into the room because that energy gets engaged. They know they're going to have a good time. They're, maybe they're getting a little tingly and thinking about you. Maybe they're not, but they know it's going to, you know, it's a pleasurable. The girl standing next to her sees your face light up. Who are you looking at? You know, right there. It's contagious because interest is contagious. The thing to do is make the pool a warm and friendly, flirtatious place. Um, but flirting isn't hitting on. That's a really good distinction. That's that's a really good piece of information. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. Night? Yeah, that's I have to. Being one of the first people to flirt with someone new has all the positive bonuses and none of the flaws. Yeah, you're not putting yourself up there for 
for you know re, you know for absolute rejection. You know, right. You're not you're not going sink or swim. And they're going to move on, yeah, but you but have made that matter. contact. It wasn't you a woof. It was. And that flirtation is its own. So there's that feeling that if you're not banging somebody at the end, you did something wrong. Yeah. Nope. Well, and that's nice because, and and to bring it back to the primary theme of doubt, if my intention is not a scene or sex, then I didn't fail. And then you're not desperate. Right. And then I wasn't desperate for that goal. The only goal I had in mind was was contact, and I've made that just by doing it. So I succeed the instant I... Right. Even if she cuts me off and sends me away, I have succeeded in making contact. And I can then go, okay, step one of my plan is, you know, step one, contact made, you know, checklist. And that actually gives me something to say, do, don't do. And that's something that people will talk about. People will talk about flirting and people will talk, because it's not about their failure, but it's still important and it's still tied into the doubt. Really good. But it's positive where people can go, oh, yeah, you're right. I Dominance as person. One of the things that doubt and insecurity cause is withdrawal. The other one is overreaching. And in the desperation to prove that they are a dominant force, people can put their foot in their mouth real easily. You know, whether it's the inappropriate command or inappropriate attitude towards someone. Um, because nothing will get everybody in an uproar in this social situation like somebody presuming they have authority. That's unwelcome. That's just fox in the hen house. Everybody goes great. But dominance doesn't have to be an overt act. If you think about it as perfume, if you think about it as a little cologne that you apply to your everyday action, you're, you're trying to create something more subtle. Because if you walk around in jackboots ordering everybody what to do, you're going to alienate more people than you attract. This is not the community or culture for that. But if you are confident, if you do it in little ways, and I need to think of some examples, if you think of it as, as you know, because it's, it's more about framing what's an appropriate act of dumb to show your feathers, you know, to show your plumage. Being a dick isn't usually it. Sometimes it is. I will not rule it out. Sometimes it is. In this community, in this culture, that time is not off. So I need to, I need to find examples of, and it's funny, the few things I can think of I don't want to tell people. <laughs> Let them figure it out. Yeah. So, I'm trying to think of this. Politely asking somebody rather than telling them to do it, still oh, gives okay. them a chance to do it. When they do it, so you're looking for tell them how pleased you were by it. Right, giving people opportunities to demonstrate something to you is good. The fact that you're getting them to do that, pick up on Then there's um, there's influence. You're not in my service. We don't have anything, but you're you want to be there and. There's a vibe or whatever, you know. Not confusing that for ownership. Not confusing that for anything more than it is. I don't actually have the right to presume on them for anything. They just want to be available to me because it gets me tingling. Okay, can't really take that for granted or as a fact of my life. If I try to enforce that authority, all I'd create is conflict. But if I ask them to do things, you know, if I'm aware of it and I don't push it, and I'm allowing them to get that feeling anyway. It's it's much more pushing and shoving in the end. There's a, a class at South Plains called the Guardian Dominant. I think it's what it's called. But basically it's for 
submissive or slaves who not in service currently. They may have lost their master. They may never have one yet. Uh, for whatever reason, a dominant who may not accept them as their own property, but would be willing to kind of sort of mentor them. So it's more like a guardian ward to keep the muscles working, but we're not really hooked into this because, like, you know, the mind and everything like that. I thought about I'd love to go into prestige, ownership, everything else, but it's again real abstract and external and rare that I Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. It fits into that same category of. No, I think you're looking for those gems. I think you're looking for that that thing like the thing about farting. I mean, you, you're only going to really get these people like three or four points. Okay, so what's, what's next? Uh, remember, remember why what? they're here listening? Well, that's that's what we've been talking about. Yeah, that gives people the opportunity to offer the to you folklore and mythology. Wait, what was remember why they're there? Why they're oh, why they're here. Um, that's that's an important one. Yeah. That's uh, that's the idea that, that it's easy to forget that they're not doing you favors. That being under you, you know, there's 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 language language signifiers like I'll let you whip me. Okay, so who's you're doing me a favor by letting me pay attention to you. No. You're here because you desire something. I may be the provider as the dynamic Right. I'm the provider. But I think they, I think people have an idea of that instinctively because the first thing that dominants do after a certain amount of time is start demanding that people beg for stuff. You know, I think that's that more around. more porn and environment, think, or is that more a secure a, and, a, and security a doubt thing? A doubt thing. I mean, I like it because I think it's hot, uh, but it also gratifies something. It gratifies and makes me feel safe when someone's that small and that desperate. I mean, my entire kink revolves on the axis of you want this more than I do. Um, and gratitude afterward. Um, no, it's just the idea, it's that gift of submission illusion. Mm. It's the idea that because what they're doing is painful or because what they're doing is humiliating or because what they're doing is exhausting or they're doing it for you and you're not paying them, right. that they're doing you a favor. They didn't come to Tess seeking a dominant for any other reason than to experience something along these lines. It's easy to forget. Right. You know, when someone... Well, it is. It's, a, it's almost easy at times to mix up regular ideas of yes. pain with, you know, you, it's like, you know, you know that they like being spanked. They know they like being spanked. But when the time comes to figure out who's doing who a favor... You forget that, and you almost want to go, oh, well, that must have hurt. Yeah, she's crying her eyes out. I feel bad. Even though you know she... You know that this is what right, she's right. here, but... So never forget. That's why I make people work for it. It reassures me that this is what they're here for. And when they're crying, I can go, you worked for this. Folklore mythology, dominance, all Oh, yeah. It's mostly internet stuff, but... It's that, uh, that stupid-ass idea that... You know, the word master defines someone who is honorable, responsible, diligent, flosses, you know. And how does that play into doubt? Is there, you think people feel like they're failing if they're not living up to that? Well, I think that there's assumptions, and assumptions cause miscommunication. If you're assuming that master means one thing, you're also assuming that I think it means the same thing. Right. 
Um, so yeah, the, the living up to these ideals, yes, I would recommend everyone be scrupulously honest. But some but people who take master, they capitalize it, they turn it into the diific right. to the point where any failure, a real master would, right. you know, a real master would be a millionaire by now. A real master would have a, you know, would be master of his entire domain without Right, they're both sympathetic and telepathic. They are both right. firm and yielding. They and are the world would bow wave to Wave and a particle. If I am to bow to his will, it is because the world bows to his will. You know, that's why the image, the, you know, the pornographic image of the master, he's always got the mansion and the helicopter and the whole bit, because that's masterful. He's right. in charge. He's a success. He's financially, emotionally, whatever it is, he's on top, and that proves his worth. Well, and, it's, and yours as well. I mean, it, it, right. you know, right. if, you're, if, you're, you know, if you're entirely capable of being controlled by... I mean, I've had to come to terms with the fact that the opposite... That there is truth to it. Yes. There, you know, there is an element of truth to it. Somewhere in there, there's a connection to dominants who aren't successful in their own eyes. Because there's, there's that idea of the bad boy dominant. You know, there's, there's that, the guy who he has a motorcycle and, you know, no money and nowhere to live and he sleeps with this, that artist thing. Yeah, but the difference And he's is, failing is he by, right. He's, it's like he's failing by, all those standards, he's not master of the universe, but almost by deliberately, by the fact that he doesn't consider them important to some fraction of those people who are evaluating him. That's, he didn't fail at right, those that's things. Independent. He's, he doesn't have to be content. He can be a bunch of different things. Content or successful is not a necessary factor. I think it's debilitating to people who aspire towards mastery or, or dominance and equivocate that kind of successful image to their power base. Right. Not but, I, but I think so people have exactly to recognize right. that if they're failing by their, by own, their own standards, standards. they yes. are crippled. Does that make sense? I think in some cases, in many cases, the origin of service is not based on their admiration for the person that they're serving. It's not always because they're looking up to them and being impressed by how how together they've got their shit. Well, I'm not. I, I, this is a, I'm discussing this in terms of the dominant self perception. Yeah. Not the actual perception. The question is: Do I that that idea? Do I deserve to be served, or do I not deserve to be served because I'm not the vice president of my company, or because right. I'm not and do, you know, I don't have a closet full of Armani, and I can't afford to keep you in a cage. And that, that, is a, a, that is a cycle of thinking that's destructive. Yeah, it's not destructive at all. And, and is, are you going to talk about that and talk about a way out of that? Well, I'm not sure if I can talk about a way out of it, because I'm still, I'm still grappling with it myself. The only way out of it that I can see from my perspective right now uh -huh. Is growing to meet my own standards. I think that is the stuff to impart to people is that idea that a realistic evaluation of your goals and you know some strategy for not feeling like a loser as long as you're working toward because that's the doubt part. You know, if when you when you look at yourself and you realize that you're not meeting your expectations and you set your own expectations, I think that's the important point of of this this part of that 
that thing that you're going to present where it's about making your standards reasonable. Because I think once you've made a decision about reasonable standards and you are achieving them, then at that point, it's like, fuck anybody who doesn't think those standards are the right ones. Once you decided on those goals and they were reasonable, then that's the point where you feel good enough about yourself to go, I don't actually need everybody else to agree with those goals. Once you've got reasonable goals that you're, the trick is just managing all of that stuff that pushes people in various directions, you know, because I think that the thing for you to point out to these guys, if, if you're looking for bullet points, I think is make sure you're, you know, make sure your priorities are reasonable, make sure they're ones you believe in, and make sure you're hitting them or working towards hitting them. And, yeah, I never really addressed the outside world aspect of this culture before. I guess I will touch on it. The, the way I'd always addressed it before is that same thing I've used in three or four of the lectures. Know where your lines are, draw them and keep them, and that way you can keep yourself yeah, absolutely. Um But I was talking in game, game structure, in dynamic. Um, but really, it's universal. Yeah, it works for everything. It's if you and it, and because the antidote to doubt is is accomplishment, you know. And the only thing you can do that is just draw lines that you can. The real danger spot is what happens once you've drawn your lines, but you're not hitting them. Do you? You know, continue to think of yourself as a failure until you achieve, or do you have, do you gain worth, like on a gray scale as you get closer and closer to hitting your goals? It's, it's day by day. If you're doing something every day so that you're not slipping back, you're doing something to stay on top of it day by day. So that's strange for everybody. Strange for everybody. In that way, at the same time, you know, if, if you were running a business and the business was, you can't just abandon it and get totally fucked up working close the company. You know, you got to try to ride it. you got to ride it through the storm. So, shit gets rough sometimes. You know? The trick you know, is to find, worth, find self-worth and process. You know, because if, if, you can't, if you can't find self-worth and process, then while you're off working on getting to your goal, then, like, everything else is, you know, the little people are wandering around confused and nobody knows what's going on. And then by the time you've got all your shit together and you look around, they're hanging off the walls by their own intestines, you know, just, you know, and, and, and it's happened to Kimmy a couple of times. It's happened to Tats a couple of times. You know, I'll redraw my line and I'll get so inwardly focused on going off to deal with that line. And then there's like nothing out the other side. Is are we helping at all? The freewheeling conversation as opposed to just letting you get through your bullet points. No, actually. I don't know if we're not helping you with your test presentation. If a, we're we've, we've come on stuff in the freewheeling that was important. Okay. And B, it's warming up for the idea of talking. Master, can you tell her master means to be a goddess? Yeah. Like yeah, that's how we got here. Walking the walk is a method. Yeah. We just talked. I think that's well, that process the process thing, is, right? It's a little more defined. No, that's accepting. Walking the walk. Um, Tink used to call it fake it till you make it. Uh-huh. Um, it, it was the idea of, what the hell did I mean? What is it? I could take that. You want me to read the subject? Yeah, did I have anything on it? Integrity, played with masters with a question mark, follow through, choose your battles, take the bait, empty threats, and confidence. Okay, so yeah, this is about... Uh, I just had, there were two points we skipped over. I just wanted to make sure there wasn't anything important. Um, to be a goddess means, is that any different than a no. master would? No, okay, and a true dominant would, that's the same thing, right? So it's all the same. Okay. Um, yeah, these were, these were bullet points on, on where to draw your lines. 
Um, integrity is a word that gets tossed around a lot, yeah. but people like respect, but people don't really necessarily understand what it means. Um, so instead of deciding whether or not integrity means whether or not you shoplift, integrity has uh, in its other sense, uh, you know, whether a skilled hull had. Integrity. Yeah, right. By it, again, by is it is it a, a solid example of whatever it is? It is right. It's sound. Is it sound? Well, even not that. I mean, like, like, yeah, right. It's but it's and not it's even like suitable for any purpose. It's just like complete. Is it whatever it is? It's like almost this Zen idea, you know? Yeah, does it support itself? Um, is it something that you can follow through on? Is it something you can, which fits in with what we're talking about about drawing the line? Um, it's. You uh, have a wait for me. <laughs> so integrity is setting setting your course, setting your rules, setting your dynamic, and then following through on it. Because not to is punching holes in the bottom of your own boat. And I think that I think that analogy is a good one, important because without saying it that way, I don't think people ever really get the other idea of integrity by being honest out of their head. Yeah, this, this being honest is it's structural integrity. Is the building going to stay up? This isn't about how you deal with other people. It's about how you deal with yourself, right? And your struggles and your struggles. So then, uh, to describe it, uh, integrity. What's next? Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed what you heard, and make sure you come to cowercult.com for more information. Bye-bye.